got a little picture of my friend up here, Boris. Ah, yeah, there we go. So uh, I'm going to call this one Ed. You can name the ducks if you like. <laughs> this is the elephant in the room. <laughs> that is my water being kicked across the floor. And I want you to know tonight, what we're just going to do is we're going to call out the elephant in the room when it comes to this, and that this is a really safe place to talk about something that can be really powerful, um, pretty challenging at times, but that demands a response. So this is the elephant in the room. If we ever get uncomfortable, just remember Ed, and it's all fine. <laughs> you know, what I love about our church is that we seek to be whole life disciples. That's not just a tag on a strategy, it's a real thing. That means our lives outside of services, which means our everyday, our time and our attention, our choices, our joys, our battles, our light and our shadow. And I've really loved this series because it's taken us through and beyond the possibility that we leave here having thinking that we've been just fed or taught um, that we've come and got something or that it was just some really great teaching. It is great teaching. But it's taken us further. It's taken us into the heart. It's taken us into our emotions, into our fears, into our past. And it's shone a light on what our future can be as well. That's what's been happening over these last few weeks as we've explored these different subjects. And I'm thankful for that because I hear stories every day that amaze me and shock me at times. I hear stories of power plays in the world, of abuse, of relationships breaking down, of people being victimized and trampled upon. And I'm always left wondering, where's the church in this? You know, like, where's our passion in this? Where was the response from the church? What were they doing at the time? Where's our response? I'm just so glad that I'm part of a church that wants to engage in the issues of life rather than offering a nice talk or a great service or some pleasing music. We're not avoiding the raw and real issues of life. We're going to face these. We're going to engage with them. Because I don't know about you, but I need to know where Jesus is in the choices that I make. I need to know where Jesus is in the choices I see people play in every single day. I need to know how to make sense of the world around me and how the scriptures apply to that. You know, porn is often this big elephant in the room. It, it can create this uh, freezing cold moment in people as, as it's mentioned. And uh, tonight we're kind of done with that. Uh, we're, we're the church of Jesus Christ and we're going to actually engage with it because people need Jesus and people need help. So I'm just looking forward to seeing what's going to unfold here tonight. There's not two camps tonight. There's not those who struggle and are at this length from me. And there's not those who are unaffected or protected. And um, We're in one place together tonight. And it's a place called Lord Help Us and Lord Lead Us. So let's pray. God, I thank you that this is your place we're your church. We follow you. Thank you that we can open up our lives and hear you speak into each and every area. Tonight, I pray that your freedom, your liberty, your mercy, your kindness would meet us here. Thank you for what's happening here. Be with us just now. 
Amen. So to understand the, the issues that pornography brings up, we need to understand the connectivity breakdown that's happened across our lives and across our society. We need to understand what isolation is and what it sounds like. We live in a really great story. It's a story of connection, disconnection, reconnection. And we live in a story of creation, of fall, and of redemption. So we're created to connect. We're really, like, we're frail enough to fail. And we're filled with a grace that reconnects us. You can hear this sound, this isolated sound, and we recognize we're not made for isolation. We're not made for constant distance, to have no relationship. We were made for intimacy, friendship, closeness with people. We love to laugh and we love to share moments. We love to connect on social media. We love to share a cup of tea, to share in sports or to share in celebration and victory. We love to celebrate teams like Hibs or, or Man U. We love to share in our losses, like the losses of every decision made against the Scottish rugby team. That unites us. We're connected people. So what does connection sound like? We're created in the image of God, a connected God. God is love. But what does that look like broken down? We're created for acceptance, for value, and for belonging. That's what love really looks like in our lives. We're created for this relationship that we hear just now, like we see in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, where there is acceptance and value and belonging. We were created for that. We were made to be in connection with others. And when life is based in that isolation, in one note, we feel incomplete. We're made for connection, and, and better than trying to explain that, what if we just close our eyes for 30 seconds and let's feel what is it like for something to feel connected? looking to do tonight is to connect again. So as we consider this topic, this is not just, you know, an issue for the guys, an issue for the men, for the lads. It's affecting us all. It's affecting our church, our souls, the connection we have. It's affecting leaders. It's affecting children. Tonight, we need to experience connection. And we need to understand the problem of porn and experience God's redemption plan. So let's talk about that elephant in the room. 
To catch us up, let's do a brief uh, history of pornography in our society. I know that's what you came for church tonight. <laughs> Here we go. Let's do a little rundown for you. A quick catch up. The term pornography goes back to two terms. One is, is uh, porn, that meant prostitute, and the other graph means the writings. So the term actually originally meant the writings of, and it developed, this goes way, way, way back. Um, wall etchings in Pompeii when it was uncovered by Victorians there was these um, pieces that were crafted pornographic pieces it goes way back and like anything it just kept up with the times and uh, just like everything in society and it just used the tools accessible we jumped to the 1890s and film became a medium and it took it on there we uh, jumped to uh, 1953 a seminal moment when Hugh Hefner introduced Playboy magazine this was um, a moment where it suddenly became accessible. We fast forward this. Um, access to it all increases, no thanks to things like the Sun newspaper. And in uh, 1990, Tim Berners-Lee creates the World Wide Web. And up till then it was serious, but it was reserved to, you know, these dodgy videos and magazines under the bed. What then happened was those magazines then exploded onto a World Wide Web and that became over 40,000 websites available um, you know, that come up if you mispronounce something on Siri. So what used to be just this dodgy content kicking about Channel 5, not the right stuff, not Ryland's show, it became accessible online. Endless sites appear and then broadband hits and bam, the images become videos. The whole thing bursts. Finally, it wasn't enough to have it pummeled into our uh, homes. Uh, we invented smartphones and we put them in the hands of every person. And now we're in this war zone, effectively, full of bombardment, full of images. And uh, many of you know, the world is just not prepared for how to deal with this much content bombarding your senses. So friends, we don't need to work out if we need to deal with this. We just need to work out how we deal with this. And we're going to take on some stats now and just see the scale of this issue and why we want to deal with it tonight. There have been over 3 billion searches for porn in 2015, and they say 1 in 5 mobile searches are for porn. 9 out of 10 boys are exposed to it before the age of 18. And a first exposure is generally around 12 years old. And most of the time when you speak that into a room, first of all, people gasp, and then often they say, oh, yeah, that sounds about right. And realistically, that's younger for many. They say that 68% of young adult men and 18% of young adult women use porn at least once a week. It can be about two-thirds to one-third between guys and girls as to how it's used. They say 35% of all internet downloads are related to porn. 25% of all search engine queries are related to porn. Are about 68 million searches a day. When it comes to the church, they say 51% of pastors say internet pornography is a possible temptation. Um, I reckon 49% of pastors need a bit of a reality check about what the word possible means. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. In the USA, they would say that um, porn cable subscriptions spike when a Christian conference comes to town. Taking this closer to home, uh, Billy Connolly, the great social commentator of our time, 
He discovered that uh, prostitution in Edinburgh can spike during the fringe and during the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. It has had a profoundly damaging impact on our views of our bodies, our relationships, and our spirituality. Basically, I think everyone saw it too early, has too much, too much access to it, and can feel far down, too far down the road to help or to get understanding on this. It's not an age thing. It's not a gender thing. It's just something we all need to work out. So what, what are these effects of the stats in us? I want to look at this holistically, if possible, tonight. This isn't just a spiritual issue, and I think some of you need to hear that tonight. This isn't just an emotional one, and I think it's important that we hold this together. Because physically, emotionally, spiritually, this has profound effects on us. And it's not something we need to work out how to do in the future. We've got to work this out now. So physically, you know, we have this powerful chemistry set in our heads. They're amazing. And we need to be affirmed that the chemistry set in our heads work. They're designed amazingly well. It's for the purpose of bonding with partners and for engaging with life. But pornography and um, images like that can stimulate the mind and releases this flood of uh, dopamine, norepinephrine, and especially phenylethylamine. Again, chemistry lessons. I know you didn't come for that tonight, but we're getting it all. And especially this one, phenylethylamine, it's like a flood um, that hits the mind. They're all chemical cousins of amphetamines, and it causes that person to be giddy or kind of out of touch with reality. To get another example of this, it's similar to the stuff that happens in your head when crack cocaine enters your body. It releases people from pain or numbness, anxiety, that break they feel, but it fades. And the next time we experience that need or that pain, there's more of a need to satisfy. And it's a very dangerous, a very lonely spiral. It's effective, it's potentially very addictive. And emotionally, I don't think I need to convince any of us that porn is harmful to relationships. I think we probably just need to pause and think of a moment or a story or a friend who's been affected by this, who's had a negative impact on their relationship. It creates disconnection, it lies. It lies about our perceptions of our bodies and what it means to be close, to experience intimacy. It creates fear and it's been such a taboo in the church for so long that it often hasn't meant any help was on offer. It damages relationships. And spiritually, we know it's not helpful. Let's not fool ourselves here. Just above the root, this is lost. It's longing after someone else's spouse or it's degrading to people in the way that we view them. It can be possessive. It can become violent or dominant in a way that will only ever cause pain. It isolates. It breaks down a sense of connection. You may have been spun a tale that it's fine, that it's actually it's normal and it's what couples do and it's just part of everyday life. And you may have been spun that for a long time, that it draws couples closer together or that it's, it's just harmless. And I just wonder if we want to, rather than rationalize that, just feel that thought 
and ask yourself if that rings true. I think to believe that it's harmless means that we choose that at the cost of our own value to who we are. I don't think we're made to isolate, to fantasize over an unreality, to detach. We recognize this is a weighty issue. This is something that may have affected us all in so many ways. Particularly as people who grew up, many of us, under the internet and were just not ready for this onslaught that came, this access that we weren't prepared for. And so we might recognize that there's something emotional, physical, spiritual that's impacted us and stuck with us. There might be different levels of how far that's gone in our lives. And so there has to be some kind of way that God enters into this story, that there's some kind of redemption here. And I think it starts where we recognize that porn is a sin, and engaging in it is sin. We know the good we ought to do, and we don't do it. It's sin. And I, I don't want to say that tonight to condemn us. Actually, tell us this because it's the start of freedom. To recognize it and to call it what it is means that it, it repositions us. It's not a monster, it's not a societal phenomenon, it's a sin. And we believe in Jesus. Because it's really important tonight to know that there isn't one sin that wasn't paid for, covered, and counted for in the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus paid for all sin, he meant all. Past, present, future. We weren't around at the time. And so Jesus knew where our lives would go. And what he did there means that we can be covered. We come to Jesus, and he doesn't need to come down and die again. We come to Jesus, and he can bring forgiveness. He can bring forgiveness. In Mark 3, um, Jesus says, you know, he says, all sin can be forgiven. So how do we look up that? Looked up the Greek, some really good stuff there. Apparently, the word all there G396 in Strong's Concordance, 3956 Strong's Concordance, the word all means all. It's <laughs> good. All sin can be forgiven. And we need to know that tonight. But we need to open ourselves up to that tonight. A key way that we understand the effect of this is as we understand guilt and shame. So I'm going to ask uh, James to help me out with a little whiteboard here. We're going Bill Hybels. And um, it's really important that we understand tonight the difference that happens between guilt and between shame. Thanks. That's great. So in our lives, guilt and shame can create cycles. And it's important that we learn the difference between the two. One can bring us into a repeat, addictive pattern, a horrible place, and the other can lead us into freedom. So let me draw it up. We're often in our lives triggered by pain. And I think the root of pornography, what can I say? 
The root of pornography can be a curiosity or it can be a sense of pain. And in our lives, we deal with pain in, in different ways. Often we try and mask it. We try and cover it. So we have two ways that it goes. One is into shame. One's into guilt. You're going to get to see my amazing handwriting tonight. It's a good thing we don't record these on video. So pain. It then takes us into a place where perhaps to cover that, we're just using something negative. We know it's not good for us, but we feel like it medicates. And that can be pornography. Hey, for others, it can be food, it can be alcohol, it could be drugs. It's about dulling the pain. Maybe it's not as acute as pain. Maybe it's just the questions. Maybe it's boredom. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's uncertainty. And as we come around to that, as we recognize the mistakes that we've made, shame kicks in and it tells us a message. Shame says you did something wrong, therefore you are something wrong. There's something wrong with you that cannot be fixed and shame speaks into that, even as a Christian. And as that comes around again, we enter more of that sense of pain. And shame just begins to create a cycle that goes round and round and round and we end up totally caught. I've been here a thousand times. And it says that I am something wrong. And it becomes a pattern. It could become an addiction. And it becomes a cycle. And it goes round and round. Now, the difference here with guilt is that we experience pain. We engage in some kind of negative behavior, as we see pornography and um, anything like that, just to cover it up or just to relieve the boredom. And as that happens, um, we recognize it's wrong and guilt kicks in. And guilt in Christ says that you have done something wrong that is harmful. You need to seek forgiveness. You need to see a way out. But you are still a child of God. You still have access to his forgiveness and you have access to the power of his life to transform the situation that you're in. And it leads us into a different place. And it breaks a cycle. And tonight, I think that's what a lot of us need to know, is that we are being maybe caught in a cycle of shame for years. And tonight we need to move over to a place where it's actually to embrace guilt, because guilt says, you've done something wrong, you are not something wrong. You're cherished. You're my child, says God. I will be with you. I can transform that. And that is a place of brutal honesty at times. It's the place of healing. It's the place of progress, of change. And so we just need to hold these together. A difference in shame and a difference in guilt. I think as we begin to get beneath the issue, we recognize that the behavior is destructive and it has got us into a mire and a muddle so often. As we recognize that we can see Jesus and that we can open up our lives into a place of honesty, 
that we can come before people we trust, telling our stories, looking for help, inviting help in. But that brings us to a different place. So often the temptation when we're caught in pornography, um, the temptation is to actually um, call out in ourselves that we are helpless and worthless and that we carry it on us and that we choose not to open our lives to God. We choose not to open our lives to his forgiveness and we keep God at arm's length. We see this happen when Jesus was tempted in the desert in Mark 4. We have this moment where he's been fasting 40 days and he's tired and he's vulnerable at that moment. And the enemy, Satan, comes in and he says, if you really are the son of God, do this. Turn this stone into bread. And then he comes again. He says, if you are the son of God, then. Can you catch that word? If you are the. This is the question that comes up when we're faced with temptation. This is the question that comes up when pornography or any of these issues swamp our lives. It's a temptation to let go of who God said that we are, who God's made us to be, who he's told us we are countless times, and a temptation to take it back on ourselves, the temptation to say that we are capable of doing it or we are going to hide from God. And the cycle continues. And so tonight we're in a deeper space than our behavior. We need to know that our behavior can be harmful. We need to know that it has consequences. And we need to get beneath that into the soul. And we need to get into the heart. Because God has told us who we are. God has given us forgiveness, mercy, kindness, the Holy Spirit to to empower us to choose differently. And so tonight, that is the opportunity. It's to choose our identity in Jesus more than to choose our isolation and our decision to keep God at arm's length. Is this easy? No. But that's why we are the church. God's given us a space together. God's given us each other. He's given us a hope in Christ. He's given resources. He's given people that can help us journey through this. So just as we close tonight, I want us to hopefully feel both those pieces, that we feel the weight and recognize the scale of this issue and how it's affected brothers and sisters, how it's affected us all. And to also recognize who Jesus says that we are. To recognize that that is available to all. And that together we work out that space. I want to assure you from experience and from life and from hearing so many stories about this over the years. That there's a way out. There's a way that is open, that's honest. There's a way of help. There's a way of being the church, of experiencing the kingdom of God in this area. To live in support of brothers and sisters and to understand who Jesus is more and more in this.